I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Welcome to today's Cheeky Scientist Radio Show. I am Isaiah, your host. And today I'm talking about one of my favorite topics, purpose. What is your purpose as a PhD? The more connected you are with your purpose, the reason why you're doing what you're doing, the more, the more frequently you can come back to this reason why, to, to really your rationale, your rationale for your career, your rationale for your PhD work that you do every day, the, all of the trouble, the uncertainty you have to go through, the challenges, the ups, the downs. How do, you, how do you stay connected to that when things get tough, especially towards the end of your academic career when you may reach a point of disillusionment? You may reach the point of, of realizing that you weren't doing what you're doing for the right reasons. You didn't have a strong reason why. Maybe you Maybe you were chasing somebody else's goal. Maybe you were chasing some sort of carrot held out in front of you, like a publication, the title of being a doctor. I believe that every PhD will reach a point in their career, in academia, sooner or later, where they have to reinvent their purpose. They have to find it, maybe for the first time, maybe again. What made, what made me start thinking about this is I, I talked to uh, a PhD recently. Uh, they're in our Cheeky Scientist Association Diamond Program, and I, I talked to them privately about their career, and, and they were very confused on what was possible for their lives, and they were very de-energized. They were very um, lost. You know, that feeling that, that we have on occasion, uh, sometimes more frequently, especially if we're in, in maybe in the middle or end of our graduate school career in a postdoc where we, you know, t take a look around. We, we, we have our nose to the grindstones for so long and we look up finally, something happens to us and we say, wait a second, I'm not fulfilled right now. I, I don't feel connected to this. I, I'm doing something that's smaller than what I'm capable of doing. I'm doing something where I, I don't feel like I'm having the positive impact on others or I'm not enjoying it anymore. Like, how can I continue to do what I don't enjoy every single day without making a change? And academia is very often the land of the small. And what I mean by that is we usually have to force ourselves to feel a sense of reward from very small things, small funding, uh, very, you know, uh, sharing resources, uh, some small wind, like getting our uh, are the name on a paper moved up from the third position to the second position. I mean, th these, these are small wins and you're capable of so much more. And you, you, you went into get, getting your PhD as a stepping stone to something else. Yet you've been in graduate school for a very long time. You've been in your postdoc. You, maybe you're in an adjunct, wherever you are, for a very, very long time. How do you get through something that can be so daunting on a day-to-day -day basis? And the, the only way to do this is by having a strong sense of purpose. Now, I reached a point in my graduate school career where I lost my sense of purpose. And it didn't all happen at once. It was really a stacking of many things. 
uh, you know, at, at, you know, I think for the first couple of years, everything was new, right? There was a lot of novelty and, you know, that some of it's contextual. Like I, it was, I came into graduate school in 2006. So it was, it was before the, the great financial crisis of, of 2008. So there, there was funding or at least a sense that everything was kind of stable where it was, it wasn't the, the highest level of funding ever, but certainly better than today and certainly better than after 2008. And so, you know, when 2008 came, I, I had just passed my comprehensive exam, uh, you know, that, uh, that exam that, and it's different for different uh, departments and universities and countries, et cetera, where you, you get that uh, master's technically, and, and then you go forward after that to start really putting together your thesis. So after that, though, and let's say about a year after that, things started changing. They became much more challenging. Funding went down. Everybody's attitudes sank. Uh, universe, the universities as a whole worldwide really started to struggle. They're struggling even more today, if you can imagine that. But the, that, that con what's going on around you does matter. But also internally for me, I had that happen. And then, you know, after you start working with people for over two years, uh, the relationship can get strained. Like the, the mask tends to come off. This is something that's true academia or industry, by the way. It's why the two-year retention rate is the gold standard in industry that uh, employers, the gatekeepers, hiring managers, and recruiters, that whether, they, whether or not they get promoted, right? how well they do their job is determined by that two-year retention rate. And two-year retention rate, it's not great, by the way, in industry. You know, In academia, it wouldn't be great either if we weren't locked into these long term graduate school, uh, you know, four year, five year uh, programs. So in industry, it's, it's about, it's about 80% leave before staying at a company for two years. That's, that's the overall average. Uh, if someone's hired through uh, an application and, and, you know, they upload a resume online without a referral. Now, if there's a referral, uh, the retention rate increases, but only to 50%. So what do I mean by this, right? The, the masks start to come off, like the, you, the, you've been around the people that you're working with for a, you know, a long time. And, you know, at first it, there was novelty and you're getting to know people and it, it's fun and exciting, but then you stay there on a, on a long enough timeline. And if you're dealing with diff difficult personality types, it can be challenging. Plus, the, you know, before you get to leave grad school or your postdoc, there's a natural sort of... Uh, Friction that occurs between the the mentor and the protege, especially if that mentor is is a PI who's who hasn't caught up to how you know the the rarity of of there being anywhere for a PhD to go in academia, the 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 substantial drop in the number of professorships, etc. So all of this tends to occur, and and again, this was the stacking of of when I started to lose my purpose, and I I got to this point where. It didn't seem to matter what I did. I was always told that some, you know, if I did this, you could get this paper, or you know, you'd have a better authorship. Your name would get bumped up to, to first author, or you know, certainly not in, in the the direct middle of of the line of authors. If you did this, you know, we could do this review together. If you did this, you'd be closer to graduating. If you did this, you know. And, after that happened over and over, and I had multiple thesis committee meetings where nothing changed and everybody looked around at themselves blankly, especially, you know, once you get into that fourth year, uh, the fifth year, and this continues to happen, you get the publications, but nothing changes. Uh, you, there's no direction. It doesn't matter what you do. You, you start to lose a sense of purpose. You're like, wait a sec, does, does it matter what I do? 
Maybe you're feeling like that now. Does it matter what you do? Are you still hanging on to the hope that if you get that next carrot, something is going to change? Somebody's going to come take care of you. You're going to get that green light to graduate. Are you? Are you really? Do you have any control over it? Are you going to get that, you know, that that a paper or that grant's going to somehow protect your career? That postdoc position, or if they change your title to research associate, or you become an adjunct, that that something's going to change. But you're still underpaid. You still don't have any job security, and creativity, innovation, fulfillment does require a certain level of security. You know, chasing postdocs. I was talking to somebody else uh, on a transition call a couple of weeks ago, and they're like, you know, I. I actually love what I do in academia, but I'm constantly worried about where I'm going to have to move to next. They, they were in their third postdoc, chasing postdocs, and so they were having to move. They were in Chicago, a very expensive city, and so they, were, they didn't have any money. There's no security. Like When you're trying to protect your security and, and it's hard to even pay the bills, you get into that small mindset I was talking about before. And you can become disconnected from your original purpose. Your original purpose was much more exciting, right? It was much more engaging, fulfilling. Like there was something that you were reaching towards. There was a strong sense of growth with it, discovery, possibilities, uh, a feeling of arrival, of abundance. And if you lose that and you learn to be helpless or, you know, and this is a point that I reached where it didn't matter what you do. It it can be particularly bad. It puts you in in a state where it just takes a couple of bad things to happen for your for your life and your career to get very dark very quickly because you get destabilized and then and this was the case for me you have a, a health issue maybe caused by the stress i had i had a, a, a stress issue that came up i started having panic attacks uh which i think is one of the best things to ever happen to me because i've I've uh, I've worked with people who have been in similar situations and I understand it now. Like I understand how, you know, sometimes your body can take over due to the stress. It's going to manifest that stress somehow no matter how, you know, strong you are or smart you are. We're limited by our biology. And part of that is being disconnected from your your own feeling of self-efficacy, your own feeling of control over your future. If you don't feel a sense of growth in your life or a sense of control over that growth, you are going to be in pain. And the only way to correct that is to create a purpose. Uh, There's things you can do practically. You know, uh, we're not going to, I'm not going to go deeply into these different exercises that you can do, which I do recommend, right? Whether it's writing down a personal story for yourself on, on, you know, where you want to be, you know, in the first person, Uh, creating a vision board. You know, digging at what, looking at motivational stuff. We get so critical in academia. We, you know, we're taught to avoid confirmation bias, to be very critical of our data, information, other people's logic. That's great. But being critical of yourself, your future, all it does is uh, build up a, a reservoir of limiting beliefs that slosh around in your mind and prevent you from doing anything great. I, I, I see it. I can't, on a daily basis now, I'm getting on. I want to say about 25 transition calls with PhDs around the world and talking to them about what they're facing, what their challenges are. And I can see very, very quickly after talking to these PhDs of how many limiting beliefs they've set up for themselves. It's almost like they're selling me 
on all of the reasons that they can't get hired. And sometimes they convince me and I got to shake it off and say, wait, no, you have all of this value. You can get hired. But if you focus on the reasons you can't get hired, the reasons you can't advance your career, the reasons that good things can't happen to you, then they won't. So I'm always trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's the premise of fixing that kind of mindset? Because if, if you start to think critically and think in terms of limitations over and over, it becomes your mindset. If you do that over a, a long enough period of time, it becomes a personality trait. Has your personality changed? Talk to your friends back at home, not the ones that you went to school with, but the ones you used to know, maybe in undergrad, maybe in high school, maybe your family. Are you, are you, ask them, are you more negative now? Are you more critical? Has your spark kind of gone away? Are you moodier? Are you unhappier? Are you quieter? What's changed? How do you fix it? Defining your purpose, redefining your purpose. You know, this been on, this has been on my mind a lot. I just uh, had a had a small small internal celebration for myself. Right as PhDs, we don't tend to, you know, we accomplish a goal, something happens, and then we move on to the next goal. So we kind of celebrate by ourselves. I always think of the movie, one of my favorite movies, The Pursuit of Happiness, with Will Smith. Right, he at the end he gets the job, and he's not having a a huge celebration or a party. He just goes and walks into the street by himself and claps to himself a couple times. And that's it. And I think that's what we do as PhDs. And, and I was having, I guess, one of those moments. It's been seven years since I published my first book, uh, Black Hole Focus with Wiley. And I'm, I've been thinking a lot about writing and books and how it was really a big goal for myself. And, and we all have these or should have these because your goals and your, you know, stem from your purpose. Like what, what are you here to do? What, why are you doing what you're doing? Where, where, what do you want to do next? What's, what's possible? Anything. What, what would, how would your life change if you acted like anything was possible again? How, how might your energy increase? And uh, it's, it's been on my mind too, because I, I just finished the, well, one of the, I guess, probably fifth or sixth or seventh drafts of my third book, I finally convinced uh, a large publisher to publish a book just on PhDs and advancing their careers. So I'm very excited for this. I, I'm going to be sending out a lot of information about it. Uh, so if you, if you go to cheekyscientist.com and get on uh, an email list, I'm, I'm going to be sending a survey out trying to, we're trying to finalize the title. I wanted to bring in as many PhDs from around the world on it because I think this is a, it's a very exciting thing, right? For their, cause when I, when I was trying to publish my first book, I pitched the idea of writing a book just for PhDs, but uh, of course, you know, they're, they're, they were like, well, uh, only 2% of the population, as you told us, has a PhD. So if we put this in bookstores, we're kind of limiting our audience. And I was like, I think there's more, you know, uh, PhDs are ravenous readers. I think you're underestimating this particular uh, demographic of readers. Uh, and still they were, they were not convinced. So um, well, my first book, Black Hole Focus, talked a lot about PhDs, my PhD story, et cetera. Um, it didn't have PhD in the title. This book is going to have PhD in the title, no matter what. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that. But I was going back to my original book because it was I, I wrote it when I was going through these struggles of purpose. And, you know, I took a lot of just uh, really 
journal and initial blog articles that I did uh, when I was wrapping up my PhD. And that was kind of the, the seeds of this first book. And it took me over a year to convince a publisher. And this is why I'm always so big on follow-up in your job search, because I, I wrote an email, one email per week to the publisher for over six months. And in that during that six-month time, after initial meeting them and them start showing a little bit of interest, zero answer, zero answer. And then suddenly they answered, went back and forth, showed some data within a couple of months, had the book deal. I mean, it was it was an amazing moment for me personally. And it's why I know as PhDs, you know, if you're listening to this, there's, there's, there is something great that you can do. And, and the first step is to come back to that space where you realize anything is possible for you. And then you define what you want and you define why you want it. You know, when I was trying to get my first job in graduate school, I had no idea what I was shooting for. I, I really, I knew there was like, I, I was in research, right? So I said, okay, I, I can probably do research jobs in industry. That was it. Uh, so I figured, okay, a job title is going to be like scientist, right? Senior scientist, whatever. I didn't know any other job titles at all. It's very different back then. There's more resources now for PhDs in big part because of Cheeky Scientist, right? There's, there's uh, a lot that can be found online when back then there was nothing. You would Google PhD job titles, nothing. PhD jobs, nothing, no platforms, no blogs, nothing. So it's very, it's very different today. But I, I had to ask myself, okay, well, what's my end goal? Like if I'm unhappy right now, why am I unhappy? And it's like, because I don't like what I'm doing. I don't want to run a, another three gels today for the next two years. Like that's not impactful for me. So I said, okay, the actions, like what, what are the daily actions I wanted to do? And then I started to search for a position or job title that would allow me to do those actions. So think about that. Very different than what a lot of PhDs do. They focus on the job title first, and then they try to fit themselves to that. So what, what if you just wrote down your actions, like your own job description first on what you'd want to do, and then you found a job description that matched that? I mean, I, I, I went to seminars, conferences. I scoured the internet, read a lot of articles, you know, and I finally came across you know, the job title, which is the first job I ended up getting application scientist, you know, checked all my personal boxes, the things that I wrote down, what I wanted to do on a daily basis. Uh, and I got hired into it. And I started feeding myself these stories again. And, and, you know, some people, when they get their PhD, they have a hard time thinking in terms of possibilities, allowing themselves to get inspired because they think that emotion is bad or inspiration is bad, but it's not. You have to use inspiration to drive yourself forward. Yeah, you use your logical mind for doing the best work possible, you know, especially when, you know, when you're entering into that analysis uh, part of your work, of course. But you're human. Motivation. The, there's the, the, the power of purpose is connected to us. I mean, there's a lot of neuroscience on the way that uh, identity empowers us, motivates us, having a sense of purpose, a reason why, rationale. There's a, there's a lot on this, you know, so I started looking at, um, you know, for me, getting a job in industry seemed like an impossible task. So I started feeding myself stories of impossible tasks or great things that have been done. You know, I read about uh, Apollo 11, you know, it was uh, 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 the Edwin Buzz Aldrin, right? Navigated to the, it was the call, I believe the lunar module uh, went to the moon. Uh, and if you read the story, it's pretty fascinating. So, so Bud had to 
excuse me, Buzz had to fly longer than planned. He had they had to avoid a field of boulders. And then the module touched down on the moon with less than 40 seconds of fuel remaining. It's an amazing story. It landed at exactly 4.18 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on July 20th, 1969. Right? And then after they landed, there was six hours of preparation before setting foot on the moon. And I like uh, stories like this were inspiring to me. And I'm just sharing it because think about how impossible that must have seemed. It's happened in the past. So sometimes we think, oh, yeah, it's been done, whatever. But can you imagine, right, 40 seconds of fuel remaining, suddenly there's a field of boulders, and then you land, and you have to prep for six hours just to touch foot? And then something that happened, you know, uh, much later when I was, uh, you know, in graduate school was uh, Felix Baumgartner, right? So this was the, the Red Bull-sponsored uh, jump out of a balloon capsule. And, and to, you know, this this stuff's coming up again. We've had a lot of people go into space on their own, right? you know, in terms of private business owners, uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, Amazon founder, uh, Virgin founder, and so forth. But for, you know, for me, I found something that, that resonated with me that would have seemed impossible that somebody had to work really hard to do. And they would have had a really strong reason why. And it, it was just personal for them. I mean, this, this story, the, so the 43 year old Austrian, uh, Felix Baumgartner, Right, he he broke the sound barrier, and he, he he jumped out of this balloon right up at the edge of space and traveled like eight hundred and thirty three. What was it? Eight hundred and thirty three point nine miles per hour. Became the only person to achieve supersonic speed without a jet or space shuttle. Right, so he broke four records: highest manned balloon flight, free fall from highest altitude, supersonic speed in free fall, and longest free fall time. So beliefs, if you're, if, you know, I talked about premise before and I said purpose was the premise, but, you know, belief might be before purpose. You, you have to believe two, two things, really. First, you can do anything you want in this life, right? Humans have sent people to the moon, eradicated deadly diseases. I mean, connected the world with the internet, right? So anything is possible. Ask yourself, do you believe that still? Anything is possible. It is. I mean, I, I get, I have a, a few different books that are just like these really short stories of people who were really, were down and out, didn't look like things would work out and they achieved them. You have to read that stuff as a PhD because you're surrounded by, you know, the numbers, the logic, the impossible tasks. You're looking at, you know, P values and things that are never, ever exact. And it gives you this limited mindset. You're avoiding confirmation bias. You're taught to be critical. But human will can go forward. Human will can achieve. I mean, this is, why, this is what they do at the largest organizations. It doesn't matter if it's 3M or Google or Pfizer, et cetera. They get people around the table and they say, okay, if anything's possible, where, where do we go? What direction? Right? They have these uh, un, uh, limitless brainstorming sessions, nothing, no, nobody's allowed to be critical, right? If you've ever heard me talk about the Disney method, it's that first phase where you're just, you're, you're writing that crappy first draft, no critiquing, no editing, what's possible, aggregating ideas, information, etc. You're getting, in, you're getting inspired. The second thing you have to believe is that life is really a journey, not a destination. 
I mean, you think about humans. I mean, we're, you know, I don't know if you, I like to, I heard this, I, I forget, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but that we're human beings are 5% matter and 95% constant will. Okay, so we're, we're will. That thing inside of you that drives you forward, especially as a PhD, that's your will, power of will. It's stronger than your uh, biology at times. <laughs> it's stronger than how much you've been through. Are you connected to it? Do you actually believe that you can produce a better life for yourself? Do you believe in yourself? Would you bet on yourself to achieve something? Would you bet on yourself? And you know, the, the best way to figure this out is if you want to see how, how much somebody believes in themselves, follow their wallet. I had somebody tell this to me once, and it was for a a one of the most expensive events that I ever paid to go go to. And it was back in 2013. And they told me the price of the event. It was about six thousand dollars just for the ticket for the event. But all of these publishers were going to be there, these incredible people that had done such great work that, that I admired. Um, you know, Tim Ferris and uh Shah Wasmund, who ended up uh, writing the forward for my first book, uh, a big author in the UK. And uh, just just all these, I mean, everything, the people that I wanted to get around, James Altucher, um, A.J. Jacobs, Lewis Howes, just, a, just an, I mean, it was everything that I wanted to do, like everything that I wanted. And I thought, as soon as I heard the price, I was like, I, can, I, I can't go. I can never do that. And then the, the person I talked to said, like, you know, every, every great breakthrough that I had, have had in my life has come after writing a big check. And I was like, oh, you're biased. Yeah, I was doing the PhD thing. Well, you're biased because you know, you're going to this and you want me to go. But I can tell you in my life that has been absolutely true because it's not about the fact that you wrote a check. It's the fact that you bet on yourself. You knew that the, the, there was going to be a huge result. I mean, I cannot tell you everything that I learned by going to that event. It had every, what I learned there, spearheaded, cheeky scientist, uh, took it to uh, the, the level that it is today, uh, got me published, everything. And it's because I decided to bet on myself. I said, no matter what happens here, I'm going to get a lot out of this. And so I was willing to invest. And the return has been hundreds and hundreds of fold greater than that. And that's something that you have to be able to do. You have to be able to bet on yourself. If you see something where it has an incredible ROI and you're not willing to invest in it, what you're not willing to do is you don't, you don't believe you can do it. You don't believe that it's possible for you. You don't believe in yourself. But you should because you can. You must believe you can achieve anything no matter where you are right now. There's something that you can be uniquely incredible at. You certainly can get into an incredible career something that's going to fulfill you and satisfy you. But before you can be incredible in whatever way that you want to be, you have to believe that you can do anything. Then you must decide what you want to be incredible at, right? You have to decide what that next step is. You have to believe it first, and then you have to make a decision, right? Decision, the CIS and decision, CIS, to cut off, to sort of remove other options, actually decide on something. PhDs were taught to never decide on stuff. I think it comes back to just being told to 
you know, always leave your options open because we want to always explore possibilities. We never want to settle on a fact that a particular model, a scientific model or otherwise is a law. Okay. But this, this is different space. This is the space of creativity. So you have to decide on your purpose. And you need, you need to do this. You have to get into, you have to get in a good mood to do this, right? You can't be doing it when you're negative, unhappy. I mean, do it after a long walk, a conversation with a great friend, exercising, whatever it might be, listen to good music, take, and then take the limits off your mind and then just write down all the things that you want, the daily actions, what you want your career to look like, get into that state, turn off the, the, the critic in your head. All right. Start writing every, everything down that you want to, I mean, it can be really anything, anything you want to own, you want to do, you want to be write down big things. Like what, what are the big things you want for your career? Have you connected to that recently? If not, I really want to encourage you to do it. If, if it's not something that's, that's gigantic, seems way out there, very exciting, expiring, like, oh my, I mean, imagine if that was true, having that job title, right? Some people that I talk to on the transition calls, they say, oh man, you know, I would just, they, they kind of hedge, they say, oh, you know, I'm looking for R and D careers, but I would really like to get into a medical science liaison career. I just don't know if that's possible for me. And I'm thinking about research careers, but I would really love to get into a data scientist career. Or I'd love to go in this other direction. I just don't know if it's possible for me. Those things that make you say, I don't know if this is possible for me. That's the stuff I'm talking about. Write that down. Because if you can't find something that, you're, that you can have a burning desire to do, that's exciting, that seems a little bit impossible, then you're not going to have a strong enough purpose that's going to drive you forward uh, through the obstacles that are definitely going to come become come your way, you can do this first. You'll create a you can create a definite plan later, but the definite plan's not inspiring. You got to you got to figure out what that big goal is. What what does that dream scenario, that dream career look like first? Now this might be tougher for some of you. I want you to pay attention. This is certainly tougher for me. Pay attention to the the way you feel as you're brainstorming, as you're you're you know, putting things down that are really uh, an extension of your purpose that's been locked up inside of you. Is there something that makes you kind of leap on the inside, right? Or something that instantly makes you say, oh, no, no, don't let yourself hope for that. Oh, no, 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 that's not possible for you. Or something that makes you feel angry or, or like breaks your heart a little bit. What's, what's the thing that you thought of or that you wrote down that made you feel afraid or insecure? Right, that that something that makes you come alive emotionally. Circle those that thing or those things. Right, finding your purpose requires you to connect with that that desire for something. Desire. Have you allowed yourself to desire something great in the last week, month, even year? Okay, so I want you to really just. Put aside everywhere, everything that says you to tamp yourself down, you, you know, in terms of where you are, get outside of the box that you're in. You stop chasing just other things that other PhDs are chasing. Stop chasing, you know, stop thinking about the postdoc. Stop thinking about all of these limitations, all of these thresholds, all of these uh, goals that are far too small. They're beneath you. There is so, so many incredible things that you can do. Everything that's outside of academia, the way your life can take off. I. I'm an, I'm an example of this. And I've, I know thousands and thousands of PhDs around the world that are now too. And I can tell you it is possible for you, but you can't let that spark 
go out inside of you. And if it has, you have to forcefully reconnect to it and surround yourself with people that people that fan, you know, those internal flames. So when it comes to your purpose, if you're thinking of something practical to do, you need to start consuming information about possibilities, not limitations. If you're going to websites or whatever that are talking about negative stuff, I mean, look at if you go into new sites that are puking negativity on you every day, stop going to those sites. I like to be informed too, but just turn it off. Ask yourself, has any of the information you got from those sites actually changed your life in any way? Like, have you done anything? Sure, you've thought out different scenarios in your head, but it hasn't improved your life. No, you're you're still still are where you are. So quit listening to that nonsense. Quit letting them puke that negativity on you. Start going to sites. One site that I went to, and uh, it was it's a very simple site uh, by a, a a good writer in I believe it was the Netherlands. It's called the Positivity Blog. Again, might seem like a small step, but I was thinking so negative when I lost my purpose that I just said, okay, what are some what are some sites I can go to to fill my brain with positivity, with possibilities? And I started reading this, this site and a few other sites. And I started reading books about you know, what was possible, different things that were out there. And that's when I figured out, I, would, I want to get into an industry career. I want to write a book. You know, Those were the things that I opened up my mind. I was like, oh, they, they were such big goals for me. I can't even tell you. It seemed impossible. And didn't just seem impossible once. Like They were so exciting that I just I kept going forward, right? So uh, there's another quote I want to paraphrase. I think it's Winston Ch- Churchill, right? It says, success requires going from, from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. Anybody can get a failure and feel like they, oh, I can't really do it. See, I told you. But to stay engaged, or at least to stay happy, at least to stay peaceful, if you don't like that word enthusiasm, right? I'm not talking about raw, raw enthusiasm. I'm talking about energy, staying energized through that. If you're listening to this, there's something great for you to do. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be listening to this otherwise. And I want you to define what that is. I want you to define a, a purpose that's connected to it, that, that revolves around it or is part of it. What do you want? So brainstorm, put it down on paper. Let yourself get excited. Let yourself get, get emotional over it. And then ask yourself, what, what can I achieve that'll allow me to fulfill this purpose or live this purpose out? So hopefully this helps you. If you'd like to talk about this, or if you'd like to talk about as long as it's connected to your career, um, or, or how to transition into industry, if your purpose is to get an industry job on a practical level, that's what I love helping PhDs do. I always like to end, end the radio show with giving you a chance to book a transition call with me by going to cheekyscientist.com, and you can click the yellow hello bar that will take you to a page where you fill out an application to talk to me or one of my transition specialists on the phone. I get on as many of these calls as I can. I would love to talk to you face-to-face. would love to meet you. You do have to apply though. And it's only if you're 100% certain that you want to transition into industry or just start your transition. You know, I'm working with a lot of people right now that are two years, three years away from defending. That's totally fine too. You can figure out where you are in your transition and where you want to go. And what are the steps in between and how I can help you transition, how our team can help you transition. We'd love to talk about that with you as well. There's just six boxes with a few questions per box. Takes you a couple of minutes. Uh, our team will get in touch with you after you fill out the application if it is approved. Uh, you may be even uh, able to book a call on your own, uh, depending on how many call slots there are. So thank you for listening. 
Go figure out your purpose. Get inspired again. Think of possibilities. Define what you want and go get it. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.